we were in Boulder recently, and I was able to procure at the Red Letter Bookstore, an absolutely fabulous secondhand bookstore on the main drag. Actually, it's uh, Pearl Street in Boulder, Colorado. I was able to purchase a uh, paperback copy from 1959 of uh, Kerouac's Subterraneans, and um, I couldn't believe it, and it was very, very reasonably priced and in perfect condition. Now, uh, one of the things that the Subterraneans did, it caused Kerouac to write, uh, having been pressed by Burroughs and especially Ginsburg, to write out what his secret was for being able to be so completely transparent and apparently like a, like a clear um, mirror or actually a clear glass um, pane through which his total reality was expressed. There was no dust. There was no mediator. There was no veil. There was no... Um, um, no kind of filter of any kind of his internal workings, and he wrote as a result the uh, what have now celebrated um, uh, rules of spontaneous expression. Now, why do I say this? I'm really interested in these podcasts of trying to understand what spontaneous expression is in myself and hopefully in you, the reader, because what Kerouac discovered is that if you go deep enough within yourself, you find that part in the person who's listening or who's reading, you, you, you find that part of them which you have in common. You go uh, underneath the tectonic and through the barriers and the strata of the emotional geology, and you find that part of the person which is purest, you might say the truer self, the self which we all have in common, the great self, God is there, uh, that self which connects with other selves and therefore you have real communication. And so the uh, job of the communicator and the writer is to get so deep within your own archaeology that you inevitably connect with the deeper archaeologies of the listener or reader. And I believe that's absolutely true, and I've spoken about it on Mockingbird in a series of talks I did in Pensacola on breaking the fourth wall in terms of preaching. So if you're somebody who has ever thought about preaching or just communication in general, but very possibly actually have preached in the Christian pulpit, you'll know that um, whenever it's a talk or a lecture or a, a sort of a, a bright idea, um, uh, something you've prepared, it doesn't do anything. And only when you're deeply in uh, touch with your own inner, your own real self, does your communication mean anything? And that's why the Subterraneans is so great, and that's why I leapt with joy when I saw an early paperback edition of this most remarkable novel. Now, I want to give an example of how this works uh, for me, and hopefully it will connect in some uh, real way with you, and you might actually derive pleasure and hope and joy and even fulfillment, or no, what's the word I want to say? Um, some good and, 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 and active joy from what I'm now going to talk about as it gave me active joy. And you may say, well, I could care less what gives him active joy. But you might say to yourself, well, based on, you know, something you've heard that, that maybe his active joy, if it really is active joy, might enable me, the living, to have a little bit more of this active joy in the middle of lives which are essentially absolutely covered over and obfuscated by terrible burdens and stress and impossible uh, 
impossible love demands. I was reading in USA Today somewhere of a woman who had decided just to completely forego Christmas. She wasn't a, she wasn't an angry atheist, you know. She wasn't one of these. She just said the best way to deal with the stress and the pressures of Christmas is not to have a Christmas tree and not to have any presents and not to do anything, to absolutely pretend it's not existing. She did note that her children were spending Christmas with her, with her um, former husband. I thought that was very, um, shall we say, uh, confessionnel of her. Uh, who would want to stay for Christmas if you were a child or a teenager with uh, such a person? But in any event, um, we know that life is blocked and paralyzed and heavily veiled by tremendous stresses and guilts and uh, false demands and demands. So I can understand the woman, and I also know how rare it is that true and pure joy is to be found. So I want to talk very briefly about a, a little piece of media that I see the existence uh, of uh, pure joy. And it is a, a segment of a movie, and I'll give you a little bit of the usual kind of little lecture here that uh, will help you to enjoy this, maybe. Uh, all you need to do is go onto YouTube right now and type in the words YouTube, une chambre en ville, une chambre en ville, the French words, uh, we would say uh, a room in town, uh, and ta uh, put in Violette Amoureuse, Violette, two T's, one L, and Amoureuse, A-M-O-U-R-E-U-S-E. -E. And what will pop up is a video section that lasts about five minutes from the earliest section of a 1982 French film that has subtitles. I'm not absolutely sure the subtitles are in this particular YouTube segment, but it's recently been released <coughs> in England and France, and therefore one day for us uh, on a Jacques Demy box set. And the movie, uh, which was uh, released in 1982 and re sort of repatriated Demy's career after some not very good films that were failures, uh, this movie brought him back. And uh, it is a musical based on a, a certain events relating to romance uh, and uh, male-female relationships that occur in the midst of a grève or strike in the city of Nantes, N-A-N-T-E-S, a strike that was well-known whenever it occurred in modern times. And there's <clears throat> a little bit of Les Mis about the film. But the music was written by Michel Colombier, who went on to become very famous in all sorts of genres of European music, pop music. And uh, it's called A Room in Town or Une Chambre en Ville. <clears throat> and uh, it's entirely sung, and it's sort of, to me, somewhat operatic and a little darker. I would say very much darker. Um, it reminds me a little bit of Sweeney Todd, one scene, but that's not really the right. It's it's it, it it's more romantic than it is um, dark, 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 dark. And uh, it um, uh, this uh, a room in town is all in French and it's sung now in subtitles, but the YouTube version is a short scene at the beginning and it stars a fellow named Richard Berry who plays a labor organizer and radical kind of a communist type who's maybe about thirty six, thirty seven. And uh, it co-stars Dominique Sanda, the <clears throat> extremely famous um, uh, actress from Italian films. I, she may be French, but I remember her in Italian films, who's unbelievably sexy from a viewpoint of someone uh, who's come along in the uh, development as I. And some of my um, 
compatriots, and uh, uh, it co-stars her and Michel Piccoli, the uh, very high-profile French actor, now very old, possibly dead for all I know, but Michel Piccoli plays Dominique Sanders' uh, estranged husband, and uh, Danielle Derrieux, the wonderful French actress, plays actually the mother, I believe, of the character played by Dominique Sanders. Uh, sort of a, um, a, a, a lovely and I find very attractive but rather lost and saddened and deeply disillusioned French aristocrat who sort of likes her rumor, who, her tenant, who's very honorable, Richard Berry. So you have Dominique Sanda, the very sexy woman who goes around with a mink coat and nothing else. And you have uh, by Jacques Demy, the man who did Umbrellas of Cherbourg, and you have... Uh, Daniel Derrieux, who plays a very unfulfilled and rather sad and lonely um, aged aristocratic woman who's still got something going, and Richard Berry, who plays the radical sort of Claudius type from uh, from um, Les Mis, you might say. And uh, in the midst of this uh, romance and operatic uh, movie of lost and uh, tragic love gone wrong, in the context of left-wing political upheaval in the 60s or 70s or whenever this particular uh, famous strike occurred, you have Fabienne Guillon. Now, Fabienne Guillon, who's now much older, but in 1982, a young French singer who sang the role of Violette. Now, Violette is a young woman, uh, you know, early 20s, a young woman who works in a shop in Nantes and is absolutely, totally in love with the character Francois, played by Richard Berry. Now, don't worry about the French. Don't, don't, if you don't know French, it doesn't care. Hell of beans, because the power and the universality of the, of the themes and especially of the characterizations and the music completely trumps any kind of worries you may have about feeling stupid or feeling feeling uh, left out or just you have other great things about you, but you didn't happen to pick up French. And God knows you're not in the business of watching 1982 uh, odd and somewhat murky French musicals. Um, uh, But suffice it to say that this is, in my view, this bit as powerful in terms of my reaction as honestly Subterraneans is in it's, although it's not the same level as a whole. Because y'all turn on YouTube, remember, une chambre en ville, and then Violette, V-I-O-L-E-T-T-E, amoureuse, A-M-O-U-R-E-U-S-E, violet in love. And here you have a section of about five minutes of some uh, police uh, wagons and uh, sort of black mariahs and uh, buses are passing across the street to let you know that it's a time of tension. And this beautiful young woman, who's not gorgeous or sexy particularly, but just very lovely, young woman wearing pink, uh, I think she's wearing pink, um, is running across the street from wherever she's come to find her love. She is about 21, 22, and she's fallen completely and head over heels with absolute, uh, tranquil, complete um, feeling and purity with Richard Berry. And they sing a long kind of duet which is very natural. As first she says, I came as quickly as I could if you've been waiting a long time. And then he says, oh, only five minutes or so. And the streets are full of fleek, full of cops. And I have to keep a low profile. Let's go up here and try to walk alone. And they walk up some stairs. 
and they sit on a bench and then she says how much she loves him and uh, she's just completely in love with him and he says you know you're so red you've gotten all, all pink uh, and she says oh I'm pink because I, I'm all red because I ran I ran to meet you but I'm so in love with you that's really why I'm blushing now I'm just so completely in love with you and then she turns to him Marion nous Francois let's get married I mean whoa you know here's this rather classic French teep who's sort of with you know got a cigarette and looks just the classic part of a sort of world weary 38 year old French male romantic lead and he has this absolutely lovely wondrous dear delightful young person who wants to get married to him and, she, and he says look we can't get married there's a strike on a general strike and she says that shouldn't affect our getting married we love each other whether the strike is on or not and then she says and the strike is going to be finished anyway one of these days it's going to be over and he says, I can't possibly marry you. I don't have any money. I don't have any chance of making money. This strike is absorbing me. And she says, well, I'm making money. I'm, I have a job. I'll work and we'll work this out. We love each other. Let's get married. ASAP. The natural dynamic of the love is for marriage. This is not, um, you know, America in 2011, but it's, there's an instinctual thing going on. She says it without any pressure. There's no push. She's utterly, completely Fabien Guillon, who plays Violette, absolutely perfect in her loving way. She reminds me a little bit of the teenager, the character who plays the teenager who is so enamored and a very lovely and starstruck and completely unlurid or un inappropriate. Not a moment of inappropriateness in the way that little young teenage girl falls for the American sailor who has absolutely no designs on her whatsoever is like a big brother but she has a puppy love and the scene in Lola by Demi from 1960 when the 14 year old French girl and the American sailor go on the rides in the amusement park with the Bach background it's got to be one of the most beautiful things ever filmed I can't recommend Lola enough and here we have again in 1982 22 years later something like that we have this 22-year-old lovely girl who's fallen hook, line, and sinker for this very attractive and thoughtful and intellectual and active and courageous man. But it can't work out. There's no way in a million years. It's sort of like Cosette, you know what I mean? It's just not going to work out. But Fabienne Guillon, the young actress and singer, brings such a loving spirit to this jazzy score. It's very contemporary. Da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da
in the 60s, not as they would be today. And they settle in a kind of square in Nantes, and they're singing to one another in the square, and he bids goodbye, and she goes back to work, and it's touching, and she doesn't really know that he's not really deep down committed to her. He can't be. He just is in a completely different place as a human being and as a socialist. <laughs> and uh, she's uh, completely apolitical but utterly dear, and she sort of skips off. Uh, with her beautiful dresser, and it's just the most lovely thing in the world. And you see a couple of nuns in the background in the sun-drenched square in Nantes, and then it ends, and it's about five minutes. And I uh, invite you to listen to it about ten times. Watch this particular thing about ten times. It's worthy of seeing it again and again. Oh, je t'aime, François, da 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 and she will not take no for an answer, but she's the exact, you say to yourself, God, get it together. If you fall for Miss Sexy Dominique Sanda, who's closer to your age, who's already got a husband who turns out to be a very, very heavy weather, a very fine piece of work, him, oh, that's another story. If you actually believe that that's your answer, you know, um, maybe one night it's your answer. But if you honestly think that, that uh, despite her sexiness, that Dominique Sanda is not a woman with an enormous amount of water under the bridge compared to this beautiful lovely girl who loves you so and is so passionately <clears throat> wrapped up in you and yet has such courage. I mean, she'd do anything for you. And uh, yet she's no fool. She's obviously resourceful. She's the kind of woman a lot of men wish they met. That is to say, if I can just uh, go on a slight, my wife is one of these. Uh, she's totally female and beautiful and generous and in touch with all that, and and but not vain or frivolous, uh, entirely not on her cell phone all the time and saying, um, uh, you know, um, like uh, like well, I think I like uh, really. Uh, does that make sense? She's none of that. She's she's straightforward. She's absolutely straightforward. She looks um, him straight in the eye. She wants him. She knows what it is to want him, and she knows what it is to be loved by him in every sense of that word. But she also is uh, – she just says what she believes. She says what she thinks, and she's her, her statement is utterly without guile. And uh, you feel sad because she doesn't gain him. She loses him. But uh, he wasn't the right person. You sort of say to yourself, oh, my gosh, if I were only the right age, if I were only in that movie, if I could only boop, you know. Uh, now, fortunately, I met someone like this long, long ago, and it's a woman uh, whom I still know. And matter of fact, she's downstairs, and she's my wife of uh, 38 years, uh, and uh, I knew her several years before that. Uh, and, uh, you know, what, what are you looking for in a woman? You're looking for someone who tells you the truth, who uh, is dear who's basically generous in every way, who's not all uptight about a million different things, who doesn't have a lot of attitudes, who's flexible, resourceful, who truly is able to love you, but is at the same time someone that you can really respect, someone who you can admire, someone who you can actually be in awe of, someone whom you can really, you know, what is it, uh, that's uh, kiss you all over? <laughs> What's that? So the, I always forget the... Manhattan, what is it, Atlanta, the Atlanta rhythm section. I want to kiss you all over. I mean, you have to have that in there, too. You have to have the Atlanta rhythm section in in the mix uh, if it's going to last. But you also want someone of integrity 
And Violette Amoureuse, Violette in Love, depicts and exemplifies and shows on YouTube. I won't play it now because it's easier for you. Because, look, why do I not want to put all these things in my podcast? Because you all just um, – you all let me do too much interpreting. I mean I've given you a lot of interpretation already. You may think that uh, – you, you may be struck by his uh, his brushing her off. You may say, oh, my gosh, he spends the entire five minutes telling her no, and she ought to be smart enough to uh, hear what he's saying, and she's ri- she's riding for a fall – which she is, but focus, uh, pretend you don't know what happens afterwards, and uh, think of yourself as being wooed by the non-neurotic integrity and dignity and charm and beauty and generosity and sacrifice and yet self-possession and resourcefulness and uh, uh, everything. Violette Amoureuse, it is an absolutely pure picture of what it is to be the folie, but it's not really folie, it's the the beauty of of the love of a of a woman for a man, and God willing, it could be vice versa. And I think that that picture of Violet Amoureuse is one of the most um, um, memorable and delightful set pieces before this film takes a whole other movement. And Demi became very celebrated for this film late in his career because it seemed to recapture the depth that had been lost in um, a movie he made called A Slightly Pregnant Man, which is awful, with uh, Marcello Mastroianni and uh, Catherine Deneuve. Just a terrible movie. You feel like maybe it was made for Italian television, you know? It, It just doesn't have any of the depth and the sense of providence and the deep sense of sort of a higher power coupled with faith without being with a little bit of childlikeness, childishness even, that you see in, you know, Donkey Skin, Podan, and some of the others, let alone Lola and Bay of Angels and uh, Les Demoiselles de Rochefort and Les Parcs de Cherbourg and all these. This movie is a wonder. So look at Violet Amoureuse and see if it helps you really recapture a little bit of your own love, a little bit of your own sweetness. Maybe the person whom, who loves you could watch it and she could get in touch with the kind of quality, not to mention the music and the mise-en-scene and the composition and the pacing and the editing, all of which combines to form a view of love which is absolutely perfect and charming and beautiful. And at its very best, The Subterraneans um, by Kerouac uh, describes something along those lines, the love of, uh, of uh, Kerouac at a very young age for Marduk Fox, which later on and very quickly became highly uh, selfish and self-involved and ultimately he really did a number on Marduk Fox and she dealt it right back. She She gave it out as quickly as she uh, you know, as she was dealt it by selfish Jack Kerouac, although um, he got his comeuppance and he wrote a very famous article as a result of his failed love affair with Marnu Fox. Uh, I think it appeared in Cosmopolitan Holiday, one of those magazines in which he talked about his conversion to Zen. And specifically, he claimed it was because he, after his breakup that uh, the Subterraneans talked so movingly and affectingly and honestly about, Kerouac said he realized that life was a crock. And at that point, he was attracted to the first and the uh, second and uh, and uh, possibly the fourth of the four noble truths. So the... Um, the combination of the unveiled honesty and painful depiction of emotional truth in the subterraneans and the un, the honesty and not so painful but uh, very touching and affecting uh, purity and uh, kindness and uh, generous uh, instinctive quality of gift that you see in Violette in uh, 
this brief scene in Une Chambre en Ville is very powerful, and I, you, your heart goes out to her. You want to comfort her later in the movie and help her. And, of course, Richard Berry, who goes in as Tim. We, so what do we say today? She went in another direction. That means usually one thing. He went in another direction. That usually means that's code for something today. But let's just say, let's just say that Richard Berry goes in another direction. Uh, and uh, in a sense, it's, it, catch, it catches up with him. He should have. What did we say? She should have stayed in bed. She, he should have. He should have listened to Violette. He should have been attracted to Violette. What about you? I mean, you. You should have listened to someone. So you should have heard. How many voices did you hear? The blind leading the blind. I so often look at my life and I, I, I see that people I thought really had something to say or something to offer had nothing to offer or had the wrong thing to offer. I was just too needy for an offering. I was too needy for guidance, and I should have listened to the good voices. Thank God I listened to my wife Mary at an early time. In life, but saw her for the Violette that she still is. Uh, but uh, many, many people don't do this. They fall for the blind guides who our Lord spoke about when he talked about um, don't go after blind guides. The Pharisees and the Sadducees are blind guides, and a blind guide will simply lead you into a ditch. And that happens to Francois in uh, this uh, very beautiful but very somber ending and ultimately very serious movie. That's my thought. I hope you've caught my passion. I hope you've caught my interest. I hope you've caught the note of tremendous involvement I have with this very touching little scene that I've mentioned, which you can immediately go off now and listen to in YouTube. And if you say, well, that's sort of trivial, it's not that big a deal. Um, I disagree with you. I think it's a very big deal to show romantic love uh, that is without guile. I think that is a very, very big deal. And uh, it's something that I wanted from my house to your house at Christmas and at the turning of the year to quote uh, what that, that wonderful movie, Toys, that opening scene about the turning of the year and the toys with uh, Wendy and uh, whatever her name is who was in uh, Wendy and the other singer who backed up Prince, remember, in the days of uh, Wendy and Wendy and in Prince and uh, When Doves Cry and uh, 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 the Purple Rain, all that. They sort of performed that beautiful number, the turning of the year that occurs at the very beginning of Toys with Robin Williams, an otherwise pretty pathetic movie that has some great touches. I hope from my house to your house at the turning of the year, this podcast will speak to you with a uh, um, contagious innocence and delight, which I at least feel the delight part. Thank you so much for listening and God bless.